Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 20, if you would please. Matthew 1 and 20. If you're there, say amen. amen. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And of course, in the Hebrew language, Yeshua means salvation. This was literal. His name is the saving name. It's Acts 4 and 12. There's not salvation in any other name but the name of Jesus. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet Isaiah, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name. What is his name? His name is Jesus. But they shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel did not change his name from Jesus. Emmanuel told us what Jesus was. For Emmanuel being interpreted is. Let's try that one more time. Emmanuel being interpreted is. God with us. I feel like preaching to you this morning. And I have a title that I want to give you for the sake of your remembrance. I want you to find somebody close to you, look them smack dab right in the middle of the eyeball and tell them this. God is with us. You may be seated in Jesus' name. Now for just a few minutes, I need to lay some groundwork, but I'm going to take you somewhere today with the help of the Lord. You know, uh, sometimes people desire to be so deep that they miss the main thing. I've listened to people get up and preach for 45 minutes. They use some of the biggest words I've ever heard. Get off into deep stuff, make you snore in Greek, dream in Hebrew. And when they get done, the only thing you can say is, wow, they're smart. I still believe in the gospel message that his death, his burial, and his resurrection will always be more than enough. I believe it's all right to polish it however you want to polish it and preach it however you want to preach it. But don't ever forget, there is no other message like Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I, I'm amazed at, if you've ever seen my office, uh, you've seen a portion, just a portion of my books. Uh, my brain is so full of some useless knowledge Sometimes it just falls out, and then when you really need something to preach, there's nothing there. It's kind of the way it works. You study, and you just on and on and on. And the more I study theologians and the more I study people that talk about the Scripture, the more you realize, like, forgive me if this sounds too brash, but you realize just how lost they are. When they, they write books five, six, seven hundred pages long about God but they don't know who he is. They write from a perspective of knowing about someone. 
But they don't know him intimately in such a way that they understand the fullness of who he is. It was a mystery, but the mystery has been revealed. And in their attempt to some way explain who God is, theology and theologians have long taught us that God is both imminent and transcendent. Now, I don't want you to get lost in these big words. I'm going to explain this to you, that that God is imminent, which means that he is within us. That God is transcendent, which means he is universal. Or in other words, the, the word we use biblically is that he is omnipresent. So you've got a God that is close and you've got a God that is distant. But it's so hard sometimes to find the correlation of these two things and bring them together. That this God that is seated somewhere transcendent in this massive abyss of time and space and Here we are as little earthlings just walking around doing what we do, minding our own business and God's way out there doing his thing and he's sitting on his throne and whenever you do wrong, he judges you and sends you to hell. And if you happen to be lucky and you're born to the right people at the right place, the right time, the right country, you're gifted with special things and that's just what God does. And if it's not, then it wasn't the will of God. And if you're saved, you're saved. If you're not, you're not. You were predestined by this transcendent God who knows nothing about where you are. Hey, I want to tell you something. We have a God who is acquainted acquainted with grief. We have a God who bore our sorrow. That same prophet who said his name would be Emmanuel, God with us, was the same one that said he was wounded for our transgression in Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Adam and Eve got lost in this idea of this transcendent God that uh, he, was, he was somewhere out there in the universe and they allowed things to creep in to their lives not realizing the imminent God that desired to reside with them and dwell with them in the garden. The God that longed to be with them in the cool of the day but it was in his desire to be with them as an imminent God that was very present that when he came to them he realized that they had looked at him not as an imminent God but as some universal transcendent God that really did not care when they started questioning what the enemy said did God really say did God really desire to take care of you did God really give you everything or is God selfish and just doesn't want you to be like him that Jordan so eloquently spoke it this morning. It's amazing how quickly your perspective becomes right. If you view God as this jealous being that just doesn't want you to be blessed because he doesn't want you to be anything like him, you have read the nature of God so wrong. God is a God that is with us. He is a God that is mindful of us. He is a God that sits high, but he looks low. The psalmist said it. I I could never say it any better than he did. I love it. I pray it often. I preach it often. I quote it often. He said, Lord, if I ascend into the highest of the heavens, I can't go high enough that you're not there. He said, if I make my bed in the lowest of hell, you are there. Pastor, you just don't know where I'm at. I've been going through hell. Well, hey, I want to tell you, he's in the middle of your hell. You don't know where I've been, Pastor. It's trouble. Well, he's in the middle of your trouble. He's in the middle of the trial. He's in the middle of the chaos. God is not absent from the trouble. 
Boy, I feel the Holy Ghost in here helping me right now. He is not absent from that lonely room at night when you lay on your pillow and weep tears that you thought nobody else knew about. He is not absent from those moments where you question and ponder. Does anybody care where I'm at? And does God have a clue? Oh, I want to preach to you this morning. God is with us. He knows the way you take. One theologian has described the people who believe in God as imminent, God with us. He described them as, and I quote, God withiners. They are people that believe he is a God within. And he said the people that believe in God transcendent are the people that are, he called, and I quote, God Beyonders. He said there's some that believe that he's a God that's within and there's some that believe he's a God that's beyond. Well, I just want to settle the issue on Sunday morning. I believe it both ways. I believe that he's a God who's mindful of me and not only does he know where I'm at, but his sweet word said that he is the same. Woo, I feel that in here right now. Yesterday, today, and forever. I want to tell you, he knows where you've been. He knows where you are. And he's already been where you're going. I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. Oh, pastor, what am I going to do? Oh, the world's falling apart. What am I going to do? He's already there. He's a God that's beyond where you're at. He's a God that knows tomorrow. The Bible said he knows the end from the beginning. But I want to talk to you about something that I believe is honestly, I believe it could even be considered somewhat of an epidemic in the way that we view God in Christianity. And, and, and we see it prevalent in the lives of two sisters, Mary and Martha. One said, if you would have been here, it wouldn't have happened four days ago. The other sister said, I believe you can fix it somewhere down the road. But he said, uh, let, let me introduce something to you, sweet sisters. I loved your brother. He made me cry, and I'm going to sit right here. Listen, I, I, I love this. That even in teaching the lesson to them, Jesus wept with them. He was touched by their infirmity. He sat down and wept with them even while he was teaching them. Oh, God, that ought to help somebody today. He will sit down and weep with you when you're broken. But there's also a testimony that's getting ready to come out of the mouth of this God man. He's getting ready to tell you. I know some of you thought I could have done it yesterday. And I know some of you believe I could do it tomorrow. But I am the resurrection and the life right now. Right now. The resurrection and I'm the life. God is imminent within us. He dwells within us. It's this God nature that Jesus tried to point out to all mankind as he prayed in his flesh. As he cried out from his fleshly nature saying that truly the spirit is willing. But the flesh is weak and he would cry out, oh, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? But when you start really understanding the power of all of this, 
things began to make sense because it wasn't just the God nature that Jesus tried to point out that was available. It's also the indwelling nature that Paul pointed out in Colossians 1 and 27 when he said, it is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Jesus wanted them to understand something that this is not just about the Spirit of God that dwells in the heavens. This is not just about the transcendent presence of God. Listen, you got to get this straight in your theology. God never has to stop being transcendent to be imminent. I don't know how He could be the Father and the Son. I don't know how He could be the, the Son and the Spirit. The same way that He can be the Alpha and the Omega. The same way that He can be the beginning and the ending. The same way that He can be the first and the last. The same way that He can be the Lion and the Lamb. Same way. Now we're going to just break this down a little bit. I'm going to slow down right here. I'm going to slow down and we're just going to let the scripture talk scripture. John 14. John 14 is so powerful. Verse 16. Now walk this road with me, okay? How many of you believe the Bible interprets itself? And I pray the Father. He shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. See, there it is, Pastor, right there. Look at that. Stay with me. Even, capital S, Spirit of Truth. This is absolutely proper, even in Greek language, this is proper. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because they do not see him. Neither do they know him. Oh, this is so powerful to me. I I was rocking in my chair in my desk this morning. This is so powerful. Listen, Jesus speaking in third third person so to speak you know him because he's with you (laughs) he is with you and he said I am with you and I shall be not yet this spake ye of the Holy Ghost because the Spirit had not yet been poured out. He said it himself. The wind bloweth where it listeth. He that believeth on me as the Scripture said out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. He spake this of the Holy Ghost because it had not yet been poured out. He said right now I'm with you. But I will soon be. Woo. I believe Paul knew what he was talking about when he said he's Christ in you. He said, I'm with you right now, but very soon I shall be in you. Watch now. He said, I'm going to send another comforter. That's it, Pastor. That's the third person. That's the spirit. Hang on. Let's go to the next verse. He said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. I'm glad he didn't have to go up to the council and say, hey, third person, will you come take care of what the first person couldn't do? He said, oh, no, I'm not going to leave you without comfort. I'm going to come to you. I will. Somebody shout, I will. I will. 
Hey, if I tell you I'm coming to your house, don't expect to see my father at the door. If I tell you I'm coming to meet you for lunch, don't expect to see my mother standing at the door. I'm going to come to you. When Jesus said, I'm coming to you, he wasn't saying, I'm going to send my brother, my mother, my father. He said, I have an appointment and I've got to get to the throne. And when I get to the throne and I put the blood on the mercy seat, I'm coming back again. And I'm coming as a spirit in the church. I, I think you're reading into it a little bit more. Okay, good. Let's just let the word talk. Yet a little while. Somebody say in just a few days. The world will not see me anymore. But you see me because I live. You shall live also. And at that day, when? In a little while. At that day. You shall know, oh God, this is so powerful, that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I love this, and I am in you. You need to know that your Father is not just sitting in heaven. He dwells in us. Jesus said, when you receive the Holy Ghost, you are receiving me. When you receive the Spirit of God, it is Christ in you. And if any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, they are none of his. Jesus said, I want you to know when you get the Holy Ghost, it's me. I want proof of it, Pastor. It's in your Bible. It's right underneath your nose. Christ is in us. Now, we know in John 3 and 5, Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again of water and spirit. That's like, that's not Pentecostal rhetoric. That's book. It is what it is. Like it, lump it, leave it, take it, forget it, preach it, don't preach it. Jesus said it, not me. Jesus said, if you want to go to heaven, you've got to be born again. And if you're going to be born again, you're not going to be born again of the seed of a woman. You're going to be born again of the water. Somebody shout baptism. And you're going to be born again of the spirit. Somebody shout the Holy Ghost. Hey, I'm glad to tell you today, it's not too late. You can still be born again. If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, there is water. What doth hinder thee? All of your sins can be washed away this morning. You got you, you, you to have the Spirit and, and you've got to be baptized in water. You've got to be baptized in Spirit and in water. And this is, this is principle all throughout the scripture. If we had all day, we could go in circle after circle, preach the same principle. It's there everywhere. Coming out of Egypt, repentance, going through the Red Sea, baptism, get under the cloud, Holy Ghost. It's death, burial, and resurrection from cover to cover. It's everywhere you look. It's in the Bible. It's the plan of God. It's there. You've got to have the spirit and you've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus. It still takes water and it still takes spirit. But on the day of Pentecost, the scripture explicitly, some things explicit, some implicit. And and the scripture explicitly says to us that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there with the 120 in the upper room. Why was she named specifically? I've preached it for years and I'll believe it till I die. That the reason she is mentioned specifically as being with the 120 is because she was the only person in the world that had ever known what it felt like to have Jesus live inside of her before.
And when the Holy Ghost came in the upper room and Mary was there, they all looked at her. She gave him the knot. She said, oh yeah, it's him. I know it's him. He's lived in me before. I know it's him. She was there. Now, I, I don't want to hurt nobody's feelings, call anybody out, but I just want to tell you that the way some folks pray, they got it all messed up because the woman they prayed to was baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. And the guy that they claimed was their first pope was the one that told her she needed to be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. I want to tell you, old Pete wasn't the pope. Pete was a preacher. And Pete was a man that had an answer in his tongue like the pen of a ready writer. When they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You can have it today. Somebody shout, you need the Holy Ghost. Listen, I'm not here to be mean. I got to be careful how I say this because people pick on me, especially people that sit in the back of the church to my left. I said, I want to preach real bad. And Brother Mike told his wife, said, yeah, he is. <laughs> Didn't you do that, Brother Mike? <laughs> You're not fired. Stay around. Hey, listen, I'm going to tell you. You need the Holy Ghost. I'm not talking about confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart. I'm talking about being endued with power. Woo. If we had time today, we'd break every single scripture down. But you can go find them for yourself. Everywhere. He said in Acts 1 and 8, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father which you have heard of me. What was the promise? John 14. I'm coming to you again. I'm sending the comforter. I'm coming to you. You're going to receive the Holy Ghost. That's the promise. He said, go wait till you be endued with power. Now listen. These people did not receive power by just saying, I believe. As a matter of fact, if you keep reading in the same book, the book of Acts chapter 19, there were a whole bunch of believers. They had been baptized by John the Baptist unto a baptism of repentance. And when the apostle walked in, he said, what were you baptized? They said, under John's baptism. He said, well, now listen, I love this, Brother Jones. He said, have you received, somebody say you got to receive it. Have you received the Holy Ghost since? Woo! So it's not enough to just believe on the Lord as my personal son. He said, no, no, no. I know you believe because you believe exactly what John said. This is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. But how does he take their sins away? He said, there's water. What are you waiting on? And the Bible said that while they spake the word of God, that they began to speak with other tongues. Ooh, I'm glad that I'm a tongue talker. Hey, I want to tell you, the only people in the world that will knock it is somebody that's never tried it. I, I love sitting down. My, my mother raised me kind of interesting. We were raised in a lot of other people's houses. And there was a rule. Whatever they put in front of you, you eat it. 
And if you say anything, you won't be able to chew tomorrow. <laughs> if that bowl smells like dog slobber, there's a pretty good chance the dog probably cleaned it. But you go ahead and eat it, boy. We were the evangelist kids. We did not have the luxury of saying, ew. I don't like that. I've looked down at a plate before, and just as I looked up from the plate, I looked at mother. <laughs> you eat it. And so I got to be honest with you. I'm probably one of the least picky people you've ever met. We, it was spring break last week. We preached in Little Rock, and then we left and uh, drove up to Branson in a couple hours. Spent a couple nights there with my girls. We walked into the grocery store, and I don't know what else to say, Brother Jordan. Like, we had real good food, had eaten at nice places. I wanted something good, so I reached up and grabbed a can of any sausage. Don't be hating on me. That's the best dollar thirty-nine I spent all week. People looked at ew. It's apparent to me you have never tried by any sausage. Because if you ever had a good salty cracker with some good by any sausage, you'd know how good the Lord was. And people look at the Lord and they say, ooh, I don't want that. It costs too much. The psalmist said it like this. He said, taste and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good. If you've never had the Holy Ghost, that would explain why you would describe to somebody why the Lord don't want you to have it. I believe the Holy Ghost is for everybody. And if you want it, you can have it right now. It's not a gift that God just gives to Pentecostals. It's a gift that God said in verse 39, Peter said, this promise is unto you. It's unto your children. It's to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And everywhere, Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 19, everywhere that they received the Holy Ghost, they did not stand there and have a God moment. Roll their eyes back in their head. The Bible said that as they received the Holy Ghost, they began to speak with other tongues. What is it about other tongues, Pastor, that's so powerful? Listen, oh, oh God, have mercy. Listen, I want to tell you the power of tongues. The reason why we speak in tongues, it, it is the proof that everything that was unlike him moved out of me and who he is has moved within me. And now his spirit that's within me begins to come out. Look at Acts chapter 2. It said that they began to speak with other tongues, not as they decided what to say, but as the spirit gave the utterance. If you're not filled with the spirit, then the spirit can't speak. You realize that God is not only universal, omnipresent everywhere. The spirit that fills all the universe. But that God is also within you. Is that indwelling God nature. 
that you are connecting with when you open up your mouth. You begin to develop that nature in you. You bring it alive in prayer. And it changes everything about the way you pray. When you're not just praying to some God that's seated in the abyss somewhere that at some time may be mindful of you. Oh no. He's a God that said, I want to dwell in you. I want to be with you. So when you pray, you're not just praying to your Father in heaven. You're praying to the Spirit of God that now dwells in your mortal body. You can tell that Spirit that's within you. Help me to talk right. Help me to live right. Help me to walk right. Help me to love right. The spirit in you affects change outside of you. Woo! Don't be afraid to ask. Sometimes people are so reluctant to pray. I want to tell you guys, you ought to know this. If you attend this church, you know how I feel about this. But prayer is the most powerful weapon we have. There, there is no weapon like prayer. Oh, yes, there is, because you've got to have the sword of the Spirit. What do you think I'm praying? When I get to pray, and I start praying with that sword. When I'm going through the pits and dragging it out, I said, Lord, your word said no weapon formed against me. We have no, no weapon like the power of prayer. There is nothing like prayer. I read a story the other day. I got tickled. I literally started laughing out loud. I read the story the other day. It said this woman was, uh, was, was on a uh, vessel, and there was a storm at sea. The, the ship was rocking back and forth. And the passenger, uh, she, this woman, she rushed up to the captain, and she said, Sir, 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 how serious is this storm? And he looked at her, and he said so seriously, he said, Madam, he said, only prayer can save us. My gracious, she gasped. She said, my gracious, has it come to that? You mean it's so bad I'm actually going to have to pray? Oh. Hey, you. Way out there above the ceiling somewhere. Can you help us with this wind? It's quite tempestuous. What shall we do with? I like the way the disciples said it better. They looked back at this man on their boat and they said, What manner of man is this? That even the winds and the waves obey him. Hey. I'm telling you, when they were in a storm, he just walked out on the water and came right out there. You know why? Because he's not just a God that sits up there making storms. He's a God that gets on the vessel in the middle of the storm. God is with us. It's so crazy how we let the enemy mess with us. And I've preached it for years, but it's, it's so true. The enemy tells us one lie. We believe it. The devil says it's over. And we're like, oh, God. Guess I better pray now. It's over. You let the Lord speak to you and say, you're going to have victory no matter what. Just hang on. We're like, God, is that you? The devil says it's over. We're like, I guess it is. God says, I'm just getting started. We're like, I'm going to lay a fleece out for three days. I just want to be sure this was you, God. Hey, let, let me bring something to your remembrance today. That old devil... He's a liar and the father of all lies and the truth is not in him. And whatever he's been saying to you, 
There's a God that whatever the devil's been saying, you can believe the exact opposite. If the devil said it's over, you can count on it. God's just getting started. Praise God. There was a there was a cynic, skeptic human being that acted like I act all the time. It's pessimistic. He was talking to a believer and he said, I don't believe in the power of prayer. The man said to him, he said, well, I don't understand. He said, why, why, why don't you believe in prayer? He said, have you, have you ever prayed? He said, yes, I did one time. He said, really? He said, yes, I did. He said, I, I started praying and on this occasion. I was lost deep in the forest. Couldn't find my way. He said, I'd been there several days. I began to feel weak. I could feel the hunger pangs. My body was shutting down. He said, I, I, I was, I was going to die of starvation. I was lost in the wilderness. And he said, finally, in my weakness, I prayed. He said, well, uh, then God answered your prayer. Or you wouldn't be here. He said, no, he didn't. He said, God did not answer my prayer. He said, God refused to answer my prayer. If it wouldn't have been for the two men that walked along and showed me the way out of the woods, I'd have never got out. <laughs> Sir, he was with you. <laughs> He was with you. He may have showed up as two travelers that you don't know where they came from, but God was with you. I guess I'm full of stories today. I got to hurry and get to the end of my sermon. One night, me and Josh, my cousin, we were driving. I had an old Ford F-150. It was my first truck, 88 F-150. I sold it to Chuck and he wrecked it in two weeks. Had an F2, F-150. I loved that old truck. But it was light in the rear end. So it skid real bad. It was a five-speed. We came up to an intersection one night. Uh, I don't know what's there now. It's a rental place. It used to be Rex. It's right by, over by your place, Brother McLean, where it tees right there if you're going east. And it was raining. And uh, I hit the brakes on that old truck. I guess it didn't have any lock or whatever. And they grabbed and we just slid right through the red light. Just slid right through the intersection. And the road doesn't go forward there. Have you ever been there? If you come kind of back way from Lowe's and Delco is over on the left. Whatever, you just, I slid right through it. And so help me God. He's sitting right here today. He can tell you. There was a, a pole. A big power line pole. Right in front of us. And we slid straight through that intersection. Ramped up the hill and landed in the nail salon parking lot. And we look behind us, the tracks of my truck, we should have absolutely drilled that pole. Like, it should have been laying on my truck. But God didn't answer us. It was just good defensive driving. <laughs> Folks, listen, do you understand what I'm telling you? When you don't have time... 
to pull out a rug and lay down on the ground. Say, oh, God. I'm talking about when your baby's sick and you don't have a multitude of people and you don't have time to pray for an hour, but something gets on you and you say, Jesus! He is with us. He is with us. My Lord, I'm telling you, I feel him close right now. Let's give God praise. I feel the Holy Ghost here. Somebody's about to get awakened to the revelation. He's with you. Forty-six and one, the psalmist said, He is our refuge and strength. A very present. Woo! God, I feel him here. A very present help in trouble. Not when trouble's over. In trouble. He's right there. He's not just transcendent. He is imminent in the trouble. I'm hurrying. So where is he then, Pastor? When I talk to him, where do I look? Who do I call on? What should I call him? Well, it can get complicated if you don't really know because Psalms 113, 4 and 5 said the Lord's high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who dwelleth on high? See, I told you. He's on high. He don't care. God's, God just... He's way up there. He dwells on high. He's in the heavenly realm. He rules as the eternal, supreme, transcendent God. He's just, he's out there. It's true. 2 Samuel 6 and 2. David rose and went with all the people that were with him to, from Baal of Judah to bring them up thence to the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts. Now watch, David said, he dwells between the cherubims. Well, Pastor, we hadn't seen the ark of covenant since Babylonian captivity. So what? He dwells between the cherubims. I ain't seen no Ark of the Covenant. I'm not anywhere close to that old mercy seat. I can't, I can't find him there. There's no way that I could find him there. He reigns. Mercy and grace. It's true, David. He does dwell there on the mercy seat. You can always find him in mercy. Psalms 9. And 11. Now I know we didn't have chapters and verses when the scripture was written, but I like this one. This was my 911. Psalm 911. Somebody said, What's the number to 911? I don't know, but try Psalms 911. Watch this now. When you don't know what else to do, sing praises to the Lord, which dwelleth in the church, his people. In Zion. He dwells in Zion. Declare among the people his doings. Oh, thank God for that. Wait, wait a second, Pastor. Zion. Isn't that, isn't that a mountain? Isn't that Jerusalem? Isn't that the children of Israel? Oh, great God. That means he's not American. Oh, I thought he at least dwelled in Washington, D.C. Not a chance.
He's nowhere close to the state house. And they kicked him out of the schoolhouse. You're dismissed. Psalm 22 and 3. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praise. That's a big word. You dwell. You inhabit the praise. That's how we ought to start saying it every time we preach it. He inhabiteth the praise of his people. Oh, yeah. So he lives there in praise. That's, that's cool. I know that he dwells on the mercy seat. I know you dwell in Zion, your church, your people. I know that man have tried to confine you, God. Man's tried to put you in their box. Man's tried to put you in tabernacles and leave you in temples. And they built cathedrals, but they didn't want to take you home from there. They've built temples, wanted you to stay there. But God determined, not man, God determined that he would not be confined by temples, tabernacles, and cathedrals. Acts 7 and 48, Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet, 17 and 24. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in the temple made with hands. Okay, so we see now he's in the temple, but then he decides he's not going to be there. So then where is he, pastor? Where where does he dwell? Where could I find him? Where could I go? How in the world could I get in touch with him? And Job wondered the same thing in the 23rd chapter. He said, behold, I go forward and he is not there. I go backwards and I cannot perceive him on the left hand where he doth work but I cannot behold him he hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him I look ahead and he isn't there I look behind and he isn't there so I look to the left and I could not see him I look to the right but he hid himself on the right hand I don't know where he is but I've got something today that Job never had Job felt his presence around him. And Job felt his presence with him. But 1 Corinthians 6 and 19 said, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you. Job knew about his presence surrounding him. But I know about his presence filling me up. I'm hurrying. Stand with me. I got I to I quit. I want you to know when I pray, I'm praying to the God in me. I'm praying to the God that came down where I was. While we were yet. Y'all realize the power of that? While we were yet sinners, he made a way. That he could find me. Our stories don't all look the same. Some of us, he had to find us in drugs and alcohol and sin. Some of us were lost sitting on a church pew. I've been in this all my life. When I was a kid, they used to say it like this. I've been in the way all my life. And I'm like, yeah, you have. You've been in the way. And God's waiting on you to get out of the way so he can fill you with his spirit. Not because I deserve it, but because he's good. Because he desires to seek and save what was lost in that garden. And to fill me with his spirit. So now, when I cry out, and there's nobody else around me, I realize that he is within me. 
This little girl, her daddy was a doctor. Very smart man. He took her to Sunday school and he thought, well, I hope she enjoys it. You know, he didn't really need much about God, but he took his little girl because it was the right thing to do. She was six years old. When her father, the doctor, met her after Sunday school, Brother Haney, the little girl was on cloud nine because that's what Sunday school does. She came walking out in that lobby and she was on cloud nine. She was happy. Her father said, how do you enjoy it? And she dreamily replied. She said, oh, daddy. She said, it was so wonderful. My Sunday school class was so amazing. He said, baby. What could be so amazing about your Sunday school class? She said, Daddy, I found out where God is. He looked at her funny. She said, He's out there in the trees. He's out there in the grass. He's in the animals. He's in the world just as I've always known. But Daddy, I found something else out. He can be within me. When I look at majestic mountains, I see his handiwork. When I look at the oceans he's carved out with his finger, I know that he's there. But when I feel his spirit on me, I know that he doesn't just dwell in the universe that he created. He dwells in this vessel that he created. Be full of the Holy Ghost. If if you've never received the Holy Ghost, today is your day, friend. If you've never felt the Spirit of God, you ought to feel the Spirit of God today. If you've walked away from God and you've got away from His presence, He's as close as the mention of His name today. If you'll bow your knee at an altar of repentance, there's an Almighty God that's willing to come down where you are in the midst of your trouble and dwell with you. He's with us. I said he's with us. If you've walked away from God, you know the evidence of his presence. Because you've tried to run from him. And you know that he's still with you. Brother Looper, you can't go too far. That when you turn around, there is a hand reaching out. God, I feel the Holy Ghost pulling somebody out this morning. He brought me out of the miry clay. He set my feet on a rock to stay. If you want him to today, he'll pull you out right where you are. He'll pick you up, turn you around, set your feet on the rock, and establish your going. If you need the Holy Ghost today, a refreshing, whatever you need right now, I just want you to raise your hands to heaven. We do this as a sign of surrender to the Lord. God, whatever you want to do in my life today, I surrender to you. I want you to fill me with your spirit from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. God, you are with us.